Welcome to Inside the Yale Admissions Office. My name is Mark, and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. And I'm Hannah. I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer. We are recording this in wintertime, which means that we know that a lot of high school juniors out there are just starting to really think about the upcoming college application process. Our calendar is very cyclical in the admissions office, and the shift from fall to winter is always associated with a change in the type of questions we start to receive. Yeah, all fall, we answer questions from high school seniors, and they tend to be pretty deep into the weeds of the application process. The questions tend to be pretty specific. We did a whole episode for them a little while back. Um, Check that one out if you are at that stage right now. And we decided since we did those senior year questions, we wanted to do an episode for juniors and the kinds of questions that they might be asking. So we've thought about sort of the kinds of questions and concerns that we often hear from juniors as they start this whole process. If you're starting off and you are already feeling a little intimidated by the process or unsure of where to start, let us tell you that is totally normal. You are only going to go through this process one time. Everything's going to be really new to you. We've been there before. Yes. <laughs> well, many, many times. Going back over and over <laughs> and over again. Um, so we want to reassure you that whatever might seem concerning or unclear, it's probably something that we have dealt with before and someone in your shoes has has uh, gone through as well. So we're going to talk about a series of um, frequently asked questions that you might be surprised to hear are actually frequently asked. If you're ever feeling like your circumstances are conspiring against you, you're all alone and dealing with some challenge or not understanding something, we just want you to take comfort in hearing that a lot of people and maybe even most people feel the same way. So we're going to try to provide some proactive answers to some frequently asked questions. But before we get to that, let's make a quick note for those listeners for whom this might be the very first episode of the podcast. Smash that subscribe button and like (laughs) us. (laughs) Give us a five-star review. Uh, No, no, no. No, none of that matters. We We don't have sponsors or anything like that. Uh, But I just always wanted to say that on a podcast, so (laughs) now I've done it. This whole podcast is about giving out free information from a reliable source, real admissions officers, that's me and Mark, working inside a real admissions office. One of the reasons we decided to do this podcast is that we know that it can be really daunting just staring out at the sheer volume of information that's out there about admissions. It can just be really difficult to sort through it all and figure out what's good information and what isn't. Yeah, so our advice, always try to get answers directly from the source, like an admissions officer. Hopefully, we'll answer some of your questions here, but if we don't, you can always give us a call or shoot us an email. Also, if you have someone in your school who serves as a dedicated college counselor, they're going to be a great, great resource for you. You should take advantage of their experience that they have working with members of your community. So reach out to admissions officers. Also reach out to a college counselor who works in your school. If you call our office, you can speak with an admissions officer on duty. We have someone on duty every day. I happen to be on duty today as of this recording. Um, We all field calls and we all enjoy helping people out. All right, so let's start answering some questions. To help us out with some of these frequently asked junior questions, we've invited back the one and only Jill, who did an amazing job, played to rave reviews uh, (laughs) on our senior year questions episode. So welcome back, Jill. Oh man, you flatter me, Mark. Thanks for having me again, guys. We are lucky to have you. Jill is going to, you know, maybe take some creative license with these questions to make them a little more entertaining. Our goal here is not to make it seem like these are silly or unreasonable questions at all. It's just the opposite. We completely understand why students ask all the sorts of questions you're going to hear today. Our goal here is to just proactively provide some reassurances for a few things that might otherwise keep you up at night. Yeah, and keep it fun too. 
So should we get started? Okay, so question number one. How should I choose what classes to take in my senior year? I mean, like, I really want to take this music class, but there's also this art history course that I like. Oh, and British literature. That sounds so cool. But but what do I do? How do I choose? What if art history is at the same time as music? I, I don't know what to do. Ah, uh, yes. The schedule conflict question. <laughs> yes. We have answered this one a lot, and it's always a little bit different, but at the core, it's really the same issue, which is that there's a limited amount of space and time available in any student's schedule. You are going to read on our website and other websites that we want to see that a student is taking the most rigorous curriculum available in their high school. But guess what? Even within one high school, there's not just simply one way to have the most rigorous curriculum. And don't forget, when you get to college, you are going to have lots more opportunity to take cool classes in XYZ subjects. So if you really want to take that art history and you can't take that British literature, maybe you'll have the opportunity to do that in college. We'll say that for Yale specifically, we take a very flexible approach to this. Other schools, particularly public schools in your home state, might have less flexibility. So you want to make sure that you do keep your options open. For us, the most rigorous curriculum doesn't necessarily mean X, Y, or Z. Final note here, if there is a conflict that just really ultimately doesn't land the way that you want with your schedule and you feel like you want to give some context for that, you'll have a chance in your application to provide that information. So no need to stay awake all summer worrying that whatever you got stuck with in your senior year schedule is gonna doom your chances. Take what you can and give us the information we need if you feel like it didn't work out the way you expected. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Great to know. All righty. Question number two. What's the best time of year to visit schools? Also, is it important for me to meet my admissions officer when I come to campus? I can only be around for a day. I mean, what what should I even do? Or, or should I see anything specific? All right. Let's take these one at a time. <laughs> I would say the best time to visit campus is when you have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, the same tours are offered year-round, at least at Yale. Um, the scenery might change a little bit, but generally, like, you're going to get the same experience. Don't worry too much about that. Uh, just, you know, work with your own schedule. I will say it's always kind of nice to visit schools when school is in session. You yes. see a little more action on campus. You see students walking around. You might get kind of a better feel um, but we get a lot of visitors over the summer, and that's fine, too. I'm also going to encourage you to think about what you want to get out of the visit. You know, don't just visit to visit because it's there. We do provide a lot of fabulous resources online. You can learn a lot about our school by going through our virtual tour and attending virtual information sessions and even listening to this fabulous podcast. Um, <laughs> but there is something very special about visiting a college campus. But to avoid just sort of hopping in the car or you know going on a plane and just showing up for a quick few hours, ask yourself, what is it that I want to learn from this visit that I'm not going to be able to get from other sources? That might also help you decide which colleges you want to visit and which you want to just explore online. When it comes to what should you actually do or see when you're on campus, check out the official tours offered at the school. But also, you know, if you're interested in uh, art history, for example, check out the art gallery on campus. I'm making a plug for that because Yale has an amazing art gallery. And one final note, Yale does not track demonstrated interest. We don't track who visits campus or who connects with us. Other schools might do things a little bit differently. Right. You, cer you certainly don't need to try to connect with a Yale admissions officer while you're on campus. If you have questions, again, we always have someone on duty to answer questions, but it won't necessarily be your specific admissions officer. Question number three. 
I'm a junior this year and I was wondering how I should spend my free time this summer. I have like so many options. I could like stay home, get a job. But there's also this like really cool program at this school that I was thinking of. It's not Yale though. Is that a problem? Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I was just like, you know, what should I do? You should do what you want to do, Jill. Truly. (laughs) It's great that you've got a lot of options. You want to pick the one that you think is going to be most enriching and interesting for you. Don't tie yourself in knots thinking about what's going to look best on a college application. Um, There are a lot of really cool academic opportunities available in all different parts of the world for juniors. If they appeal to you for whatever reason, uh, go for it. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to pursue a bunch of activities that aren't really of interest to you or that don't align with sort of how you're thinking about where you want to pursue your academic life after college, you know, right. just because you think it will add some laurel to your college application eventually. Doing a summer program on a college campus can be a kind of a cool way to get a sense of what it's like to live on that college campus, but it's not going to necessarily help you out with your application to that school. So only do it if you want to spend, you know, five or six weeks doing whatever that program is offering. Yeah. And there are a lot of non-academic programs that we find are just as enriching and sort of illuminating for students at this time, where they come into their senior year and they say, wow, that experience working that job or that experience doing that volunteer program really changed the way that I'm thinking about my approach to college and was a really just meaningful part of sort of shaping my identity and who I am right now. So we don't go with any hierarchy for these things whatsoever. Mm. It is a great opportunity to do something meaningful for you if you can. We also recognize, of course, that a lot of people don't have a ton of options. So again, we're not going in with any expectation that a student do X, Y, or Z. Cool. Question number four. This might be a little weird, but um, ant farming for two years. But uh, recently, my ants have like really been giving me a hard time. One of them keeps sneaking out of the farm and trying to start his own <laughs> colony. I don't get why he's so opinionated and needs to stir the pot like this. But all I know is I'm getting sick of it. I, I don't enjoy it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. But will it look weird on my college application if I've been doing this for super, super long and then all of a sudden I just stopped doing it? Like, I don't want that to hurt my chances. What should I do? I would never recommend that you stick to ant farming for two more years if it's just going to torture you. It doesn't bring you joy. It is okay to uh, change your mind about what your interests are. Find new things to do. Stop doing old things that that you've lost interest in. Absolutely. There is some old advice out there that your activities list needs to show four years of commitment to the same activities and increasing levels of leadership and all that. That's all fine and good if you've really been able to find the things that you are potentially passionate about or just really, really enjoy and those don't change. But we know people change. We know that ants and their farms change (laughs) over the course of four years. (laughs) So if something's just not working for you anymore, make the change. More than anything, for your own sake. It does not make sense to be doing a bunch of stuff that you don't like doing just because you think it's going to make you a better college applicant. In fact, it's going to make you probably a weaker college applicant because by senior year, you are not going to be really fulfilled by what you're doing. And it's going to just seem like you're going through the motions of whatever activities on your list. And and that's probably going to show in how your application is put together. Yeah. I wish your aunts all the best, but you can give that up. (laughs) I can't wait to get rid of them. (laughs) In a similar vein, uh, question number five. 
is it too late for me to start a new activity? Uh, like, I know there's this whole thing where people think you're padding your resume for college apps if you start a new activity like this year and then you do something new next year. But but listen, there is this new science mimes club at my school. <laughs> okay, I, I know that probably sounds confusing, but basically you take like scientific concepts and you... You mime them, <laughs> and it's it, it, it just helps. It's it's a cool thing, and so I was wondering if is that going to look like weird because it's new and I haven't done it before, or what should I do here? Sounds amazing. Check it out. Yeah, new yeah. things sound fantastic. Um, this goes for extracurricular activities. It also goes for academic interests. You may find that there's a new class that's available to you your junior or your senior year that doesn't neatly fit into one of the categories you were doing before. We see this with new foreign languages. We see this with interesting elective classes, maybe in a social studies class or something like that. If it piques your interest, if it sounds like, ooh, that could be fun, go for it. Um, our expectation is not that you've, again, arrived fully formed in high school and just continue along the predetermined path. Um, try something new. See what you like about it, and maybe it'll teach you something new about yourself in the process. Question number six. Dude, my school doesn't offer AP exams. It's like maybe there's like a handful of AP exams. I don't know. But should I like self-study for more AP exams? I mean, those books are big, man. But if I got to do it, I guess I'll do it. Uh, I can stop taking my dogs for walks or something. <laughs> study instead. Uh, so, so like, what should I do? Definitely, definitely not. Keep in mind that we are always reviewing your academic background in context. We're thinking about what your school offers. We're thinking about what's available to you. And if your school doesn't offer AP classes, we are not going to expect that you are taking these AP exams. We're not going to be comparing your transcript to the transcript of the student at the school down the road who has, you know, 16 AP exams available to them. Right. I think it's helpful to keep in mind that there's no rubric that we're using that suddenly sort of awards, you know, 10 bonus points for a certain AP score or, or 20 if you self-studied for the AP exam. Certainly we see students who have a real interest in an area of study that's not offered in their school. And they take the initiative to go find a way to pursue that somewhat independently, either completely on their own or more frequently through something like dual enrollment or connecting with someone else. And they might sort of take advantage of the opportunity to take an AP exam at the end of that just to kind of see how their learning sort of stacks up. Um, but that should be about the experience of learning the material and engaging with it because it interests you, not just to sort of potentially score more points because you have one more AP exam score than other students from your school might. Right. All right. Question number seven. I am ready. I am so ready. I have been doing my research since I was 10. I am there. I'm ready to get started on my college applications ASAP. Can I start working on my essays now? I'm I'm going to be honest, I may already have several draft topics and draft ideas in my <laughs> college applications for success and acceptances folder, but um, will those essay prompts change? We reevaluate our essay prompts every summer, and it's likely that there will be some change. It probably won't be drastic, but you never know. So I would not recommend putting in too much work on final essay drafts mm -hmm. before those new prompts come out. But there's certainly no harm in doing some brainstorming, doing some writing, and kind of getting used to the form of, you know, writing college essays before you have those exact prompts. Yes, and I think most importantly, go through the process of doing some reflecting. Yeah. Ask yourself, regardless of how the prompt is phrased, what is it about myself that I think I would like to share 
in my college application? And what might be the most kind of helpful and illuminating choices I could make to share that with people. Um, that kind of homework does pay off when you start doing it early, when you start writing things down and just kind of playing with it so that you can adapt it to whatever kind of space you're gonna need later. And I'll tell you at the end of this process, you know, about a year later, when you're putting together potentially, you know, a handful of college applications, you're probably gonna find that there are distinct but similar prompts across mm -hmm. various applications yep. that don't require you to write completely different essays, but they will require you to sort of adapt and revise some things. So if you kind of start with, all right, what are the core principles? What are the important things that I want to be able to share? Do that now and then figure out the specifics later in the process. Cool, cool, cool. Question number eight. I had a rough transition to high school and my GPA reflects that. It's a long story that I won't get into. It involves like rabid toucans and whatnot. But um, I've been working super hard since then. And I've started earning better grades more recently. Will I be at a disadvantage thanks to my ninth grade grades? Great question. So you can rest assured that your most recent grades are the best predictors of your success in college. We've got data to back that up. And we go through our process thinking about that. It is useful to keep in mind that your entire secondary school transcript is going to be part of the application review. Um, but we understand that um, challenges occur and for all kinds of reasons, things may have gotten off to a rough start. That's not gonna be something that's ultimately going to destroy your chances of being admitted. But if there's a story to tell there, you want to use some space in the application to tell the story. So as you're going through your junior year, keep working hard at your classes, keep increasing your rigor, hopefully into senior year, so that by the time you're applying, you have both a really strong junior year and a very challenging senior program with strong performance in those classes. But also start thinking about how am I going to give the important context about what went wrong, whether it was the rabbit toucans or, or something else <laughs> early in your high school career. So that the people who are looking at that four year transcript really understand the background of what was going on then and now. Cool. Question number nine. Hey, I've started receiving all sorts of mail from colleges. You won't believe it. Pamphlets, letters, swag. One school even sent me a drone. What does that mean? I don't know. Am I being actively recruited? I must be a hot commodity right now. <laughs> Uh, this is a great question. And fortunately for you all, the person in charge of sending all of this information to juniors from our office happens to be in this room right now. Yes, I'm the king of spam <laughs> uh, in the admissions office. And we get this question, and it's an understandable question. Um, if you particularly are someone who took something like the PSAT or potentially the ACT or one of its uh, sort of analogs in your sophomore or your junior year, you've probably found that you're starting to get very, very popular in terms of what's showing up in your physical mailbox and also in your email inbox. Let's talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean. Mm. What it means is that you are likely going to be academically competitive at any of the schools that are reaching out to you. That might be a really good sign at some schools that you are a perfect fit for them and they are very, very eager to see you apply and be admitted. We try to be pretty clear in our communications that the reason why you're receiving something from us is because you scored well on an exam. 
Our admissions process, though, is much more complicated than just what a score tells us. Mm -hmm. And so although we wish that we sort of had a more nuanced way to think about who's receiving our messages, test scores is really the best piece of information that we have. So you should receive this information and feel good that, oh, I could be a realistic candidate at any of these schools. But you've got to remember, yes, there are many, many more students who receive these kinds of messages. Uh, we don't send drones. I'm not sure who's sending drones out there, but yeah. certainly emails and things in the mailbox, we send them to more students than we're going to be able to admit because we don't know a whole lot about you at this stage in the process. Other than that, it looks like you are likely going to be academically in the right range for schools like Yale. And we want to make sure we're giving you the opportunity to learn about us. Wow. Jill, thank you for those questions. Of course. Spectacular. Happy to do <laughs> Fantastic this. Fantastic performance yes. once again. Yes. As you all go through this process, asking questions is going to be one of the best things that you can do. Obviously, the college admissions process is probably unlike anything you've ever done before, really. Yeah, the possibilities for you, we hope, feel really exciting. Um, you should try to approach this whole thing as an opportunity rather than as a burden. Um, mm. This is an opportunity to learn about a much more diverse set of institutions, diverse places, communities, academic fields, and even approaches to learning than you've probably ever seen before. It's also an opportunity to learn a lot more about yourself, mm -hmm. think about expanding your identity and trying new things. And finally, it's going to be an opportunity to wrap your head around a process that we know can cause a lot of anxiety, but which we promise. If you step back and look at it with clear eyes, you're going to find that it really isn't that scary at all. That's the whole point of this podcast, folks. Yes. So when you do have questions, get your answers from the most reliable source. We're going to say that's us. And we hope we've answered a few of your questions today, maybe even before you ask them. If this is your first podcast episode, there are 20-some others that are already out there. We hope that they're helpful for you throughout the months ahead. And stay tuned. We're going to keep recording some new episodes. We'll take a break from reading and committee over the next few months and give you all that content that you love. Yes. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you also for being our sound engineer for this podcast Ooh. and for being a great colleague and admissions officer. Thank you, Reed, for lending us your office once again. And thanks to former admissions officer Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for an episode, you can drop us a line at yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening. <laughs>